Um, kids who are, I don't know, who are consider themselves to be kids. What age are we talking, Matt? <laughs> I just work here. I don't know. I have a baby. I can't focus. Fifth grade and down. Fifth grade and down. If you are fifth grade and down, Mr. Matt is waiting for you in the back. You guys don't have to witness what's about to happen here. <laughs> it might get ugly. Um, hi, for the rest of you, you get to be with me. My name is Nathan. I am the youth pastor here, and I am super excited about the chance to speak with you guys today. Um, it's something I love doing. Um, it's also an opportunity um, and a responsibility I take really seriously. I'm going to be honest with you. I had this idea when I first thought about what I was going to do, that I was going to hold a baby for the entirety of my entire message, but never say anything about it, just to like make a point at the end. But then I remembered that these little boogers are kind of heavy. And um, I didn't do my push-ups last night. So this is little Annalise. Everybody kind of make your baby faces and wave at little Annalise. She's making her stage debut today. This is not my daughter. She's very, she's a, she's the drummer's daughter. She, no, not the drummer's daughter. Um, she is, uh, this is Kyle, Micah's daughter. Um, and she's super cute. She is like a perfect little staff baby um, who is scared of people a little bit. Say hi. Um, she's growing up so big, she's like Kyle's size now, so he's really, he's really proud of her for that. Um, she really is like a perfect baby. She's never cried. Um, she like changes her own diapers, mixes her own formula. We've been doing it since birth, haven't we? It's amazing what it's like to be a staff kid. Um, I love babies. <laughs> I know, and I know I'm, she's not really a baby baby, but she's close enough, right? I love babies, and that's one of those things that if you know me well enough, you know about me, is they just, I just, I just, I just love them. You know what I mean? Like, they're just, there's that something about them that is just so special to me. But it wasn't always like that. Um, I, in fact, it was just a couple of years ago, I used to tell people the complete opposite. Um, I used to tell people I hated babies, which is a terrible way to introduce yourself to people, by the way. <laughs> Hi, my name is Nathan. I hate babies, and they look at you funny. Um, but what I used to tell people was, man, like, babies, like, all they do is just sit there, and they, like, can't really tell you what they need. They just cry, and you got to figure it out, and you can't, like, play football with them, and you can't play tag with them, and, like, I was like, ah, oh, babies are just kind of lame, but then I think what happened is I got old, and my, like, energy completely depleted, and I realized, you know what? Babies just kind of sit there, and you don't have to play football with them. You don't have to play tag with them, and, like, maybe, like, they'll... You do what they do in their diapers, and you have to, you know, fix that. And when they cry, you just, like, make them not. But other than that, you're just, like, sweet little things. And little moms everywhere are like, oh, you have no idea. You're right. You're right. I have no idea. I just get to do this, and then I hand them off. Um, so, I, so now I've decided that I, like, I just, I just love these little things. But God did not make me with hips to sit them on. So I'm going to hand little Annalise off. Everybody say bye to Miss Annalise. Say bye. So she's so good. I'm so jealous of you for this. She stayed up till 1 a.m. last night. Her and Kyle were just partying so hard, I'm sure. Um, I love babies. And some of my um, nurses and techs that I work with at my, my job now, we kind of joke about this sometimes. And one of the, kind of the joke that's been going around recently is this idea that, like, I am not reaching my full potential because I don't have a kid. It's like I have all this love to offer in the world of fatherhood because I, like, I have this awesome, like, fatherly presence about me, obviously, because why not? <laughs> Dads everywhere now are like, yeah, you think that now. Um, so, like, I have all this stuff to offer, but, like, I'm not able to, like, give it. So that's kind of like the joke that we've been, we've been using at work is that, man, like, if only you had a little Nate Jr. man that you could really love on, like, you would be more. 
And that's like kind of one of those little jokes that we have, but I think it's kind of a microcosm of a really serious issue that a lot of people face. When they look at their lives and they just feel like, man, I feel like I should be able to give so much more than I'm giving. I feel like maybe I should be able to experience so much more than I'm experiencing. Um, Maybe you've been there or maybe you're there right now where you get to that place in life where you kind of take a step back and you look at your life and you're like, man, is this really all that there is? Is this really it? Is this really all that my life really is? And you just kind of feel like maybe there's a little bit of a void, maybe a little bit of an emptiness there. You try to fill it with things like motorcycles or whatever it is, but, but you just feel like, man, like, is this all there is? And I think that this is maybe something that not only do we face kind of in the secular world, but we might even face this at a greater extent within the church. Because we have like the spiritual element there as well, where we have to look at it and we're like, man, is this really what it means to be a follower of Christ? Is this really all there is to this church thing, to this Christian thing? The life that we live, the, the life that we see lived out before us, is this really all that there is? Is this really the only impact that I'm supposed to be making? Been there? You ever been in those spots? One of the things I want to really be able to talk about today is how to respond to those moments where we almost feel unfulfilled, where we look out at like our Christian lives and we're like, man, I just feel like there should be more, right? Even if we look into Scripture and we look at the idea of the early church and we look at kind of what Jesus had planned for this church and we see this incredible early church that was just so powerful It was shaping culture, and it was shaping society, and it was overcoming just massive persecution and spreading like wildfire. Um, Jesus himself said that he created the church so that the gates of hell couldn't stop it. And yet we step back and we look at our churches, we look at our idea of, especially an American church, and we don't really look that unstoppable, right? In fact, we're very stoppable. Um, Music guy sings one wrong note, and we just kind of like, eh, next. Um, the preacher talks a little bit too long or his jokes aren't very funny and we're kind of unamused and we're kind of done and, and bored, right? Like, it's just like it takes almost nothing to stop us as a church. It's just not quite what we see as this unstoppable force of the New Testament. And so what does it look like to live this fulfilled, complete, holistic Christian life that I think we were designed to live? What does that mean? Um, I want to kind of shape and frame a lot of this around one of my favorite illustrations, you've probably been wondering what in the world. One of my favorite illustrations that I have ever seen in my life, I found this like um, years ago. It's not my idea. This is not an idea done by a guy named Francis Chan, who he's a phenomenal uh, speaker, author, pastor. If you've never read the book uh, Crazy Love, that's him. You should check it out. You're missing out. But he did this illustration that I saw um, years ago, and it's really stuck with me. And I think it's really, really cool for what we're talking about. He related our lives especially our Christian lives, to a gymnast performing on a balance beam. Things are getting really interesting now. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Things are getting really interesting. So he related our lives as Christians to a gymnast on a balance beam. So I'm going to be your gymnast for today. I don't know why gymnasts talk like this, but they do. And he says, basically, like, what we do is we kind of get up here on our balance beam of life, and we start our performance, and we realize, oh, no, Life itself is a little shaky and a little scary and a little wobbly sometimes. Um, I got a chance to talk to you guys last time I was up here about how our lives, especially Christian lives, can be really full of, of turmoil and pain and heartbreak and hurt. And we don't like that, right? I mean, we see this world of hurt and pain and we try and avoid this. 
Uh, we don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to hurt. And so what happens a lot of times is we say, okay, you know what? I'm not really liking this idea of, of risking things. I'm not really liking this idea of hurting and, and being in pain. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of uh, play it safe. I'm going to marry um, a nice person, have a nice family, live in a really sweet little gated community, um, not in a scary community because crime is bad and we better have a cheddar's nearby because, you know, um, spinach dip. And we're going to have a dog, but not too big because rabies. And my kids, they're going to, they're just going to wear helmets all the time so that they never get hurt. And we're just going to kind of ease through life. And this is kind of what we look like. <laughs> this is it. We're just kind of holding on to life, hoping nothing bad happens, hoping to stay safe and comfortable. And like our greatest prayer is God, like, I just want to die in my sleep like with no pain when I'm old, like 40, and I'm going to just die in my sleep, and I'm going to kind of roll off into heaven. And this is probably the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a Sunday, but that's cool. And I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to stand before the judge, and I'm going to go... Right? Like, <laughs> I know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but he... Chan finishes this illustration by saying something that, whoa, by saying something that I have always remembered. He goes, what is the judge supposed to do with that? You know, like, like seriously, what is the judge supposed to do with that? If we're watching the Olympics and a gymnast gets up on a balance beam, probably one from like Belgium or something, and does something like that and rolls off and finishes, what do you expect the judge to do? Like, negative four. <laughs> like, that's not what we're going for. Unfortunately, this is kind of the way that I think a lot of Christians live their lives. Um, and the reality is, all of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, are one day going to have to stand, like actually in real life, stand before the judge, before the God of the universe. And he's going to be reviewing the life that we lived for the kingdom. And he's going to respond to that. And man, can you imagine like the heart-sinking feeling of standing there while the judge looks at that as our performance, like what do you expect him to say? Do you expect him to be super proud of what we've done with the life he gave us? But, I mean, congratulations, you didn't fall off. Like, congratulations, you didn't sprain an ankle, which is actually a big deal for me today. Like, like, okay, yeah, you didn't fall off and sprain an ankle, but like, what do you expect him to do with that? I think this is a, has major ramifications when we're looking at what it looks like for us to live a fulfilled life. If we want to live a life of fulfillment that we were kind of designed to live, then we've got to do more than just kind of hold on tight and hope nothing bad happens. There's got to be more to it, right? Um, full disclosure, I took three years of uh, gymnastics in elementary school, and I thought about really trying to show off my skills today, and then I remembered I just took three years of gymnastics, and it was in elementary school, and I'm old and lame, and that right there was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> just just holding on to the thing was hard enough, so that would have been terrible. We've been going through a series on over the last few weeks. Joel's been walking through a series that we've kind of entitled Greater Than. We've been talking about how Jesus is greater than um, basically everything. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the prophets. Um, and I wanted to kind of wrap that up and put a bow on it today with um, another idea of Jesus being greater than, that I think maybe hits us the hardest. And that's the idea that Jesus 
is greater than us. It's the idea that Jesus is greater than our comfort and our safety. Because if we're really wanting to live a life of fulfillment that we were designed to live, I think the first thing we have to recognize in order to do that is that Jesus himself is greater than me. Jesus himself is better than what I consider to be comfortable and what I consider to be safe. And until we can recognize that, until we can wrap our minds around that concept, then our lives probably will feel a little bit unfulfilled. There probably will be a little bit of a hole, a little bit of a yearning, a little bit of an uncertainty when we step back and look at life. And it's not going to really feel right because we were designed for something greater. We were designed for Him, not for ourselves. You with me? Tracking me? Um, All right. um, With that said, let's open our Bibles. Do the thing that we do where we celebrate God's Word and and do that thing. Yeah, it really weirded me out the first time I came here. And we opened the Bible and everybody started, Woo! I was like, oh, we do that here. I was waiting for Joel to pull out some snakes and stuff later, but luckily that never came. Um, I need a... Whoa! I need a this. Brian, I'm going to borrow this for a second, bud. Um, we're going to open your Bible to, I hope it's in Matthew 14. Um, and if it's not in Matthew 14, then I've really made a mistake. Um, open your Bibles to Matthew 14, and I am going to be looking in verse... Eh, let's start with verse 22. So Matthew 14, verse 22. And we're going to see kind of what Scripture says about this idea of living a fulfilled life, this idea of recognizing that Jesus is greater than ourselves. Um, If you have a hard time finding Matthew, it's after Genesis and before Revelation. It's in there. Bible joke. Also a true story. um, If you open your Bible up to the very center, it probably won't be there, but it'll be after it a little bit. So if that helps you get there, you can try that. It's nine books after Obadiah. If you're really good at finding Obadiah, gosh, just, okay, just read the Bible, Nathan. Okay, Um, all right, here we go, verse 22 in Matthew 14, Um, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered, he said, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come on out, Peter. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. And he took of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So we have this really, really cool um, little story of Peter, Jesus first, but then Peter walking on water. I mean, this is an incredible story. You've got the disciples. They're on the boat. Um, They had just seen... Jesus feed the 5,000. They just seen this incredible miracle. Jesus said, all right, you guys go out on the boat. I'll catch up later. And they're like, cool. So they're on the boat. It's the middle of the night. Jesus is walking on the water to come and join them. And the disciples see him coming towards them. And like the good disciples that they are, they're like, oh, no, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like rolling his eyes at them, I'm sure. And he's like, no, guys, it's, 
Guys, it's just me. It's not a ghost. It's just me. And Peter's like, oh, yeah, well, if it's really you, then uh, why don't you uh, tell me to come out and walk on the water? You know, how about that? And Jesus is like, okay, come on, Peter. Come walk on the water with me. And I can just imagine Peter in this moment. He's just like, oh, okay. Um, he's like, John, hold my coat. Here we go. I'm going to, guys, I'm going to go walk on the water. And you just, I bet John's like rolling his eyes. He's like, guys, like Peter's going to go try and walk on the water again. So what? So here he goes. So Peter's like, I'm going to go walk on the water with Jesus. And he comes up to the end of the boat and he goes in the water. And uh, Joel brought something up that I thought was really interesting this past week. He was like, I wonder how Peter got out of the boat. Like, I wonder if he was like, okay, I'm going to walk on the, walk on the water. Let's, um, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to walk on the water. Like, I wonder if he was kind of like that. Or if he was more of the Peter we make him out to be a lot of times, where he just barreled out. Like, hopefully he didn't dive head first. It would have been a really interesting injury. But, like, I'm probably just bar- so I, that's what I kind of think he did. I think he, Peter was like, all right, here we go. And he just goes, whoo, he's walking on water. And then what happens is he does this thing where he's like, oh, I'm walking on water. He's like, guys, guys, I'm walking on water. Oh, oh, I'm walking on water. Oh, okay, I am, I am walking on water. And he sinks. Right. And he immediately he's like, OK, um, this is bad. Jesus saved me. And Jesus, like, once again, rolls his eyes. He does this a lot. I think he's like, ah, Peter, like you have little faith. Like, why did you doubt? And like picks him up and saves him. Really cool story. And I think there's a whole lot of things that we can take out of this story that are really, really impactful for us. Um, but the two quick things I want to pull out of this um, that I think really have great ramifications for us when we're looking at what it looks like to live a fulfilled life is, first of all, the entire story is happening within the scope of major, major faith. It took major, major faith for this whole thing to happen. So if we want to live a life that's fulfilled, if we want to live a life that's what it was supposed to be, it's going to require, first and foremost, a high level of faith in who God is and what he can do. Um, we, Joel talked about faith last week, and he did a great job, and he used the illustration of a chair. And he talked about how when we all came in today, we sat in our chair, and we had faith that that chair was going to hold us up, right? We didn't think about it. We just did it. Why? Because we've sat in chairs our whole lives. Like we, we've experienced it over and over and over again. We know that chair can hold us up. Um, I've sat in, like, thousands of chairs. And except for the times when, like, my friends would, like, pull it out from under me and I'd, like, fall and they'd laugh, which is a whole other story. Like, it usually holds me up. But Peter's faith here is a little bit different because he's not sitting on a chair, something he'd done his whole life. He's being called to walk on water. To be honest with you, I've never seen anyone walk on water. I've never seen it. I've spent an embarrassingly long amount of hours trying to walk on water at, like, hotel pools. You ever done that? Like, secretly? Like, got, like, I just, like, get up enough speed and I'm like, Oh, I, I, I fall every time. I've never done it. I took Mr. Smith's chemistry class, and I know the chemistry as to why I can't do this. When I step out onto these water molecules, and there's density, and blah, 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 there's other things involved that he taught me. He did great, I'm sure. But there's reasons why. Like, there's no way I can do this. Science tells me I cannot walk on water. My experiences tell me I cannot walk on water. The only thing Peter had in that moment that he could hold his faith into was Jesus, right? Everything around him was telling him that this was impossible. Everything around him was telling him that you can't do this. The only thing that he had to hold on to was Jesus, was his faith in who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. You with me? Now, I think when we think of the word faith, 
a lot of times we, we think of faith as like this very like abstract, ideological, like, like new age kind of thing that's up here. Like, oh, if you can just like siphon enough faith out of the universe and believe. It's kind of like this thing. I don't know what's wrong with my actions today, but like it's, that's what we kind of think of when we think of faith. But the older I get, the more I realize I think faith is less cognitive and more concrete. It's more physical in nature because faith doesn't really mean anything until it manifests itself in action. That was good. Faith doesn't really mean anything until it starts to manifest itself in action. What in the world am I talking about? Well, my uncle is a pilot. Like he, like he flies planes. He's a pilot. And it's one thing for me to be like, Brandon, I have so much faith in your ability to fly this plane. It's another thing for me to actually get in the plane with him and go up into the air, right? I could stand here all day long and tell him how I have so much faith in your ability to fly this plane. But then if I finish that with, dude, I totally believe in your abilities. I'm not so sure that I really want to go up there with you. Do I really have faith? It doesn't really mean anything, right? It's just words. They're empty words at that point. I don't really, I can say that I have faith in the physics of a parachute all day long. But until I'm actually willing to jump out of that plane and pull that cord, like, what does that faith really mean? It doesn't really mean anything until I'm willing to act on it. My grandfather is an amazing shot with a rifle. I've seen this man shoot snapping turtles out of his pond from incredible distances. I mean, he can, I've seen him, like, weave bullets around trees, like, go into the turtle's mouth. Like, it's, he's incredible. But I'll be honest with you. I don't really want to put an apple on my head, go 100 yards away, and be like, all right, fire, man. Like, I'm not, I don't have that much faith. Man, but if I did, if I really, truly had complete faith in his ability to shoot that rifle, then that'd be, that'd be like a party trick. Hey, guys, come check out what my grandfather can do. All right, ready, go. Like, it would be, my faith would take place in action. And I think that's the second thing that we see here in this story, is if we want to live a life of fulfillment, not only do we have to have like this airy cognitive faith in God, but it has to actually manifest itself in action. I mean, look at, there were more dudes on this boat. Like there's at least 12 dudes on this boat. And I bet if we could rewind time and interview all these guys and ask them, do you believe that Jesus could help you walk on water? I bet they would all say yes. They've spent some time with him. They've seen him do some amazing things. I bet they would all be like, yeah, Jesus could totally do that. But Peter's the only one who jumped out. And even Peter started to sink after he got out of there, right? We can sit here and say we have faith in the Lord all day long, but until we actually get out of our boat and take that step of action, it doesn't really mean much. What does this mean for us practically? Um, this is when I actually say things that matter, I think. Um, for us practically, what does this mean? Um, it's really easy for me to say that I have faith that God can support me financially and provide for me financially when I have $20,000 sitting in the bank. Like, it's really easy to do that when that's the case. It's really easy for me to say that I totally have faith that God can provide for me physically when I'm, like, super healthy and I have no real history of illness, right? It's really easy for me to say I totally have faith that God's going to provide and protect my, my family when I have like a loving, caring, devoted wife and three like beautiful kids who make all A's and they play golf and they're going to be lawyers one day. Like, it's easy, right? That's the easy part. 
But where my faith really begins to show itself is when I act upon it. If I'm taking that $20,000 that's in my bank and I'm using it for the kingdom and I'm just giving, giving, giving to people that are in need to the point to where God has to provide for me. I mean, let's be honest. Why do I keep that $20,000 there? The honest answer, I think, for many of us when we think in that world is because I kind of think Jesus might provide for me, but just in case he doesn't, like I've got this backup plan. All right, it's like the trapeze artist who has the net under him. He's like, I think I can make it over there, but just in case, I'm going to keep this little net under me, this little safety net. True faith is this whole idea of barreling out of the boat where if Jesus doesn't come through for me, I'm sunk. This true faith, a life of fulfillment that I think we've been called to as Christians is this idea of pushing ourselves out into the unknown, out into the scary, out into the uncomfortable place in life where if God doesn't come through for me, then I'm sunk, right? And I think that's what it really means for us and entails for us, that if we want to live lives that are actually fulfilling, the lives that we were designed to live, the life that you see lived out in Scripture and some of these Bible heroes and some of these um, New Testament um, early church stories, then it's going to take a kind of faith that's pretty radical. And it's a little scary. <laughs> Remember our balance beam? It might be a little scary, if I got up here and I tried to do, for me, it just takes a handstand. Like, it's probably, it's going to be a little scary. It's going to be a little unsure. But it's going to take that kind of thing for us to really be able to live those lives that I think that we were designed to live. Um, and I want to finish by talking about why. Why? Like, why, why is that important? Why is it important that we do this? Why does it matter? Um, I think two reasons. One, it matters because we benefit. I, I think that we benefit from this kind of a life, from this kind of faith, from this kind of sacrifice. You know, Jesus doesn't call us to a life of sacrifice because he's mean. He doesn't call us to a life of sacrifice because he wants life to be hard for us. He does it because he knows that that's where we're actually going to find fulfillment. There's this awesome little caveat in the Bible that says, the man who loses his life will actually gain it. He knows that that's what's best for us, and he's calling us to it. But a lot of times we're just scared to do it. Can you imagine Jesus' face and his emotions when Peter was like, dude, bet you won't call me out there to walk on the water? He had to be like elated. He had to be like, oh my goodness, like, yes, Peter, come walk on the water. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be so cool. Like, come on, Peter. And then what would happen if Peter was like, okay, and he's like, Oh, uh, uh, no, I might get wet. Can you just imagine Jesus being like, no, Peter, like, this is so cool. We're going to walk on water. Like, it's so worth it. And, and Peter's like, yeah, but it might get a little cold down there. Can you just imagine Jesus being like, yeah, it might be a little cold, but you're walking on water. It's worth it. Can you just imagine him just like really just yearning for Peter to experience this? It's kind of like when you get a really awesome present for your kid, and like you're watching them open it, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're going to like it. It's like you're just so excited for them to experience it. Um, maybe like for a father, like you take your son to the UT football game for the first time, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're going to hate the play calling here today. Like, it's going to be great. You're going to be doing it for the rest of your life. Like, you're just like, oh, boy. Like, you have that feeling of like, oh, you're going to love this. And I think that that's the way that I see Jesus like, yearning and groaning after us of like he's like hey i've got this awesome fulfilled life that i want you to live and we're like yeah but jesus i i might have 
I might not be able to get that big house that I wanted. And he's like, yeah, you might not, but it's so worth it. Or like, yeah, but Jesus, like, I might have to stay up late sometimes and I might be tired. He's like, yeah, you might get tired sometimes, but this kind of life is so worth it. And you're like, oh, man, but uh, we're just like, we're so scared of, like, getting wet that we're missing out on this really cool opportunity, right? Can you imagine if Peter, like, jumps out of here and he's like, oh, no, I'm getting wet. Like, dude, you're standing on water. And it's crazy because that's what he does, right? He gets out of here. He's, hello, walking on water. And what does he immediately do? He starts to look around at, like, the wind. And he's like, oh, oh it's a little windy. Oh, I got a little splash on me. And, like, that's what he's distracted by. He's letting, like, these little things in life distract him from something so much greater. And I think that that's what happens to us so many times, is we're so focused on our own comfort and our own lives, and we're so holding, we're holding on to those things so tightly and God's like, guys, you feel unfulfilled. You're sad. You're, you want there to be more to life. The way that you get there is you let go of this and you go to something so much bigger. And we just, we just can't let go. We're just holding on to our balance beam so tightly. We just can't let go. Tracking me? I think the first reason why this is important is because God, He wants us to experience this life. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. And there's this really weird thing that goes against everything we've ever learned and goes against our nature and science and everything where Jesus says, if you want to find your life, if you want to find fulfillment, you've got to lose it. You've got to lose. You've got to be able to, you've got to be willing to give up some things to get something so much bigger. You've got to give up some Netflix. You've got to give up some holding on and hoarding on to stuff to experience something so much bigger. So the first reason why this is important because I think we benefit and the last thing is, I think other people benefit as well. Um, when I was little, I used to always ask this question. It was a real-life question. I'd be like, man, why? Like, why is it that when we get saved, God doesn't just teleport us up to heaven immediately? Have you ever thought that? Like, can you imagine, like, um, Jesus, like, come to my heart, blah, 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 amen. And, like, you open your eyes, and, like, you're in heaven. You're like, oh, sweet heaven, like, volleyball with Moses, let's go, sweet. Like, why doesn't that happen? And I think that's kind of a little kid question with a major, major theological ramification for the answer. Because we have work to do here. Because God chose to use us here on this earth while we're here. We've got so many years of life to live, and that's it. And he said, hey, I'm going to give you this gift of life to use for my kingdom. He didn't have to use us. Like, God doesn't need us, but he chose to let us be his tools and his instruments to reach the world. The church was his tool to reach the world. If, if we're not living the lives that we've been called to live, we're not the only ones that suffer. There's other people, there's a world out there that's going to suffer as well. We're so busy holding on to our stuff that other people are missing out on the beauty of Christ. Um. I had a pastor when I was in Indiana, uh, incredible man. Um, he was, this is when I was in college. He meant a lot to me. He really um, took me under his wing and he taught me a lot. And one of the things that he told me that I will never, ever, ever forget, he said, Nathan, can you imagine what it would be like if Christians would live their lives so far out on a limb that if God doesn't come through, they're sunk? What he means by that is like, imagine if like we were doing things that were so radical and so outward focused and we got so far out on that limb that we were like, you know what? This limb is going to break. And God, if you don't catch me, I'm not going to make it. 
If we all lived that kind of life, can you imagine what this world would look like? Can you imagine the broken hearts, like the multitude of broken-hearted people that would be able to find mending? Can you imagine the multitude of people who are living in darkness who would find marvelous light? Can you imagine how vibrant our church services and our communities could be if we as Christians devoted ourselves fully and wholly to radical sacrifice and loving of other people? Can you imagine how beautiful that could be? I don't think we're the only people that benefit from this. This whole idea of feeling fulfilled, it's not just for us to enjoy. It's for the world to enjoy. And that's what we were designed to do. That's what God created us to do. And if all we're doing is holding on to our little lives and our little bank accounts and our little um, me times, then we're not really able to go out and do everything that we've been called to do. We're not able to go out and be all that we're called to be. Tracking me? We good? Um, so I just want to finish up by just kind of looking at what, what this leaves us with. Um, it leaves us with this. I think the first thing is, I think we really need to stop, take a step back, and look at what in our lives are we sacrificing for the kingdom. This really hit me so hard this week. Like, I was super convicted of this. If Literally, seriously, practically, look at your last week of life, from the time we left church last week to now. In this last week, what have you sacrificed for the good of the kingdom of God? What at all have we sacrificed for the kingdom of God? Uh, like, I sacrificed two hours of my time to go to a church and, you know, sit in the back pew. I don't really want to sit by anybody so that I don't have to, you know, like, talk to them. I can get out of there quickly. Like, is that it? And what do you think God's going to do with that? If that's the performance that we kind of turn into God at the end, like, what do you expect the judge to do with that? Um, well, I tithed this week. I gave my 10%. But it's okay, it's cool, because I was still able to go out and eat, like, basically any time I wanted to, and I went to the movies last week, and I was able to buy my kids, like, great Christmas presents. Like, like good, like, tithing is, is a good thing, but if that's it, if that's the extent of our sacrifice, like, what do you expect the judge to do with that? And, I mean, I started to look at that, and I was like, I was comparing, like, the amount of time that I spent um, on things that I enjoyed compared to the amount of time that I spent actively going out and serving the kingdom of God this last week. And I was like, ugh, that, that doesn't look good. I looked at the amount of money that I spent on me compared to the amount of money that I spent on the kingdom of God this week. And I was just like, well, I don't have any money, so it's good. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was really, I was like, ugh, I don't know about this. When we start to think of it very practically like that, we start to think, what am I sacrificing for the kingdom? I think that for a lot of us living in this kind of American dream um, culture that we live in, I think, I think that that can be kind of like, it can make us feel a little icky, right? There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with um, football or Netflix. Like, there's nothing wrong with those things. But if they are all that we're living, if they're the majority of our life, if they are our love, then all of a sudden they become something that's keeping us from the Lord, right? Um, I think that's huge. If you're having a hard time figuring out what, like where to go with this whole sacrificial giving kind of idea, Look at where God has blessed you. Um, if God has blessed you financially, how can you use those finances for the kingdom? Nothing wrong with having money. Nothing at all. But how can you use that to serve the kingdom? Maybe God's blessed you with energy. Maybe you're like that fun presence who like jumps around on stage and like does flips on balance beams and stuff. Like you have energy. How can you give that to the kingdom? My dad is like the best example of this. He has so much energy. But man, that guy goes to bed every night exhausted because he paid it all out for the kingdom of God. 
He's incredible like that. How can you, how can you sacrifice your energy for the kingdom of God? Um, I, I hate it, hate it, hate it when people belittle teaching because of the time that we get off. I was a teacher for five years, and teaching is like a really hard job. I have mad props for teachers. But one of the benefits I had when I was a teacher is I had a lot of time off. I, I taught in Sullivan County, so we had a lot of snow days off. And I was able to use that time off to do ministry that I would have never been able to do if I had another occupation or that I can't do anymore that I have the job that I have. I was able to do things I can't do now. Maybe God's given you the gift of time. Maybe he's blessed you with time. How can you spend that time actively ministering and working towards the kingdom of God? Look at where God blessed you and then turn it and see how you can use it for the kingdom. I think that's really cool. And the last thing is some of you maybe are here and you're thinking, man, like all this talk about like sacrificial giving and all these things are great, but dude, like, this is my first time ever walking into a church, and now you're telling me, like, give Jesus all my money and all this stuff. Like, maybe you, maybe this Jesus isn't really actually worth it to you, right? I mean, for Peter to jump out on the water, he had to actually have faith that God was who he says he was, that Jesus could do what he said he could do. Peter didn't just do this the first time he met Jesus. He'd been walking with Jesus for a while. He'd been seeing Jesus do some amazing things. His faith had been growing little bit by little bit. So maybe the best thing for you Maybe the best thing that comes out of all of this, I don't know, other than Annalise at the beginning, maybe the best thing is maybe you just need to commit yourself to, like, getting to know this Jesus, right? Plug into a church. Commit to plugging into a church. Commit to uh, finding a mentor that you can meet with. Um, Commit to, like, cracking open that Bible every now and then. And just getting to know this Jesus, building that faith. We can't just all of a sudden just be, like, radical followers of Christ without even knowing who he is, right? For us to do this, we actually have to have faith that he is who he says he is. We've got to know who he is. Um, so I think those are some things to think about. I, th- I know that that's super huge for me. Um, we are, as a church, if you want to come on up and do your little soft music in the background. Um, I won't do I won't dance. I, I might. I don't know what I do sometimes. We're, as a church, stepping into a really cool year. Um, we've seen God do some amazing things here um, recently, and I'm super excited. This, this whole this body is incredible when it comes to this idea of like sacrificial like faithful living like this body of believers is amazing and um and so we're in the middle of our j term right now where we're talking about sharing christ with others and we've got some really cool missions opportunities coming up both here locally um in our nation and also internationally um that i'm really excited for you guys to be able to be a part of and um, we just bought this building which is so cool so there's like a lot of really cool things that we're going to be able to do building-wise, like, like God has really blessed us. But the thing that I love maybe the most about our elders and our staff team is they, they haven't come to this and been like, wow, God has really blessed us, and let's just sit here and be comfortable in what he's blessed us with. They're really looking to push forward and step out of our boats as a church and into even further into faith and even further into some really cool things that God has planned for us. And I encourage you guys um, both as individuals and as a church body, like, come join us. Like, come join us in this really cool journey. And some of these kind of scary and kind of unsure and kind of like, oh, uncomfortable things that we're looking at doing because what God has planned for us is so much bigger and so much better. Um, so I'm really, really pumped. I'm excited, as you can tell. I've been talking for like three hours now. So um, I'm going to pray and, and get out of here. But man, like, God loves you so much and he has this awesome life that he wants you to experience and I just I I hope that we and me and you 
can let go of like the little bitty teddy bears to get the great big teddy bear that he has planned for us in a life of fulfillment. Cool? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you do love us. I mean, you're, you're this almighty, powerful being, and yet you choose to love us as broken, shattered jars that we are. You choose to love us, and you choose to use us. You choose to um, allow us to experience life to the fullest. And God, I just pray that you would help us to um, maybe restructure our perspective a little bit and realize the life that you've called us to live is a radical life. But it's also a good life. It's an exciting life. It might be hurtful sometimes. It might be painful sometimes. It might be scary sometimes. But ultimately, it's good. God, I just pray that we would be seeking out meaning and purpose in you and not in our own selves, not in our own things. Um, And I also pray as a church that, God, you would continue to to push and grow our own faith, Um, that we would continue to know you more, to trust you more, to seek you more in the things that we do the things that we say. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way you love us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah, stay with me. And I love, uh, I love some of those points. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I get convicted, my heart starts beating really fast. Does anybody ever else have the same thing? Um, and I, I feel a little bit of that this morning. <laughs> and I think that's God's love on us uh, because he's calling us to something deeper. That's good news. Amen. But I think about um, I think about Peter, and I don't think that um, this is my little mini sermon. Sorry to take your thunder, Nathan. But uh, I don't feel like Peter would have walked out on the water um, had he not uh, spent time with Jesus. And uh, I think about like, have you ever been around someone who like, when you spend time around them, you're forced to kind of be a better version of yourself. Like they push kind of the limits of who you are. Um, I think about that with Peter. Like, I don't think Peter would have taken a risk of faith had he not spent that long amount of time with Jesus that he did. And um, I think what happens in our Christian life, and I'm speaking this, like I said, my heart was beating fast because this is where my, where my conviction is right now. Like we get in these places as believers where we're not, we're not allowing things in our life that stir up our affection for Jesus. And that's where we get in that stagnant place where our faith is just kind of just like not really existent. And so, you know, I think about this bridge that says, um, lead me uh, to a place where my trust is without borders, where I can walk upon the waters. And that only happens when there's, we're in this place, in this intersection of someone greater than us, inspiring us to do things that are great. Right? Right? And call me out upon the waters. The great unknown will feed me still. And there I find you in the mystery, an ocean's deep. My faith will 